All right, well, <clears throat> that kind of sobered me up real fast. Um, that's good. We need stuff like that. And, you know, the Bible talks about in Ecclesiastes that it's better to go to the house of mourning than the, than the house of mirth. And mirth just simply means uh, pleasure. Um, because when we, when we consider things that are very sobering, it says that the, the living lay it to heart. It's the things that we consider about our life and the things that are going on, and we can actually make good, sound decisions. And so even though a lot of people avoid difficult things and they avoid sobering moments, um, don't ever avoid them. Uh, God, God has really worked in my heart the most through circumstances like that. Through the most difficult things that I've ever gone through in my life, God has taught me the greatest lessons. Um, and that is something that, that I'm very, very thankful for as I've gotten older and I look back over the things that He's taught me. God bless that. <clears throat> All right. Okay, so uh, the heart of evangelism. So what we're going to attempt to do is, as I was looking at the uh, the rest of the notes and everything and looking at the calendar, I was hoping to have more time. So we're actually going to try to finish this out today because um, really I wanted to end this message and then we have winter camp. And then after winter camp, Corey's going to be teaching on Sunday mornings up until uh, GBC send-off day. And then I'm going to be teaching on that, that, that February 20th. And that'll be my last time teaching officially, uh, which is kind of weird to think about. Um, but I wanted to try to finish this out today, and I think that we can. And I think in light of the events that we just talked about and the things that we've been going over, um, that this is going to be very, very appropriate. And I feel like this is going to be uh, an appropriate message even for Wednesday um, as we're thinking about Wednesday and just the opportunity that you're going to have Wednesday, but not just Wednesday. I'm talking about the rest of the day today. I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about every day that you live and that you walk around, whether it's your neighborhood, whether it's your own household, or even whether you are at school or at work or whatever. These are the things that you need to, to tuck deeply inside of your heart and let it influence you and let it be something that lets you look differently at people. Um, it's so easy to get sucked into our own little bubble, our own little world, and we need things like this in order for us to open up our eyes and to really look upon the field that God has given you. Now, each of you are so unique. You are, have been gifted by God with, with talents, with experiences, with um, even your weaknesses that God can use to reach other people. Uh, and I think oftentimes that we try to... Um, you know, create this this person that we think is like the perfect Christian and the most ideal Christian, and we try to put ourselves into that mold, and we get so frustrated when I wish you just understand that the way that God made you was not a mistake, and the the person that He made you and how He wired you and the family that He put you in, the talents that He's given you, everything, because there are people that you can reach that no one else can. And that is absolutely, I believe that with all my heart. I think there are people that each of you can reach for the Lord that no one else can reach. And it's just whether or not you're willing to, first of all, believe that and then really get your heart around the gospel and, and, and allow God to use you where you are. Um, and this season that you're in right now is a unique season of your life and it's going to soon be over. Uh, high school is so weird. I mean, when you go through junior high and then high school, it's just so weird and so strange. But I'm telling you, there is never a time like it that you'll ever come across ever again. And so it's important for you guys to really understand the field that God's given you and to take advantage of it. Okay. 
So let's dive into this. All right, so the heart of evangelism. So God has given us the Great Commission. We know this. We've talked about it. To go and teach all nations, preaching the gospel to every creature, and baptize believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And that's Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Through this process, we make disciples of Jesus Christ that will carry on the Great Commission and occupy until Jesus comes. If you and I are going to be faithful stewards of what the Lord has entrusted to us, that's the gospel, our service must be motivated by the heart of God and our love for God. This is the only way we will love the lost properly and bear much fruit that will glorify God. And we spent the last three weeks talking about the heart of God and and really how we need to love God. And it is so true. If you really want to have compassion, making a difference, then you have to love the Lord. You have to. And you're only going to love the Lord if you understand how much He loves you. When you understand how much God loves you, it makes it very easy to fall in love with God. Very, very easy. And then once you do that, it makes it very easy to love other people. Yeah, you're going to get annoyed. Yeah, you're going to get frustrated by people. Welcome. It's commonplace. But yet, those people are people that He died for. And we need to have that perspective everywhere we go with everything that we do. All right, so let's talk about loving the law. So when you love God, when you understand how much God loves you and that you love God properly, then you will love the lost. Matthew 22, let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 22. I think that's going to be a good review verse as we dive into this. Go to Matthew 22. Matthew 22. All right, Matthew 22, take a look at verse 30, 37. So a guy comes to Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. That's what we've just been talking about. Verse 39. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So this is everything we've just been talking about. You're supposed to love God with everything that you've got. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so if you do not love the people around you, if you do not have compassion for people around you, it's because you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The only way you can love the lost is through understanding how much God loves you and loves the world. That's it. Because if you just go out on your own, and you go out in your own power, your own flesh, your own understanding, your own wisdom, are you going to love the world? No. No. I mean, you might love it in such a way you fall in love with it and then abandon God and then go the ways of the world. But there are so many things from a Christian's perspective that are so that are in such opposition to God and God's ways. I hate the world. I hate the world. It should burn. And there are people that I look at and I'm like, I wish they were gone. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're just going to be brutally honest about it, and it's so easy for us as a Christian in our flesh to get so irritated and say, oh, I just wish God would come back. I just wish that He would set things right. I can't wait for that day. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a great day, and it's incredible. However, when we look at it from that angle, when Christ comes back, they have no hope. And so this is the great divide that we have as Christians is which side of the fence are you going to fall on? 
Because there's a lot of Christians that get so irritated with this world, they hate it, they want it to burn, they want the people to burn, they want everyone to just die. <laughs> it sounds horrible, but it is true. And then you have on the other side where you don't want that to happen because you know full well that when that does happen, that there is no hope for them, and when they die, they will go to hell. This is why 2 Peter chapter 3 is so important to me, where it says that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. God waits for one reason, because He wants people to be redeemed. And so we need to learn how to have patience in the midst of unrighteousness, in the midst of this cesspool of the world. We have to learn how to have patience, because God is patient. And God is being very patient. And that's the reason that He is being patient. And we need to remember that. Okay, so when you love the lost, when you love the lost, there's four things that are going to occur. So let's split up these verses. Give me some readers. John 3.16, you got that one. Alright, uh, Luke 24.32. Okay, 2 Peter 3.9. Carson, uh, 1 Timothy 2.4. Emily, uh, Jude 22 and 23. Ethan, uh, 1 Peter... 3.8. You got that one. And then you can take 1 Peter 3.15 and Colossians 4.6. Gavin. Alright. So, these four things will happen. When you love the lost, when you truly love the lost, which means, again, that you know how much God loves you and you love God and you're actively working that out in your life, then these four things will happen. So if these four things do not exist in your life, then you need to take a step back. And you need to take a step back and ask yourself, do I really love God? And if you don't love God properly, then you need to take a step back from there and say, okay, I need to understand how much God really loves me. That's going to be the solution to all this. If you are lacking in your compassion for the lost after going through this list, that's what you need to do. You need to remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Remember, we talked about that last week. That you need to go back and you need to understand the gospel, how much God loves you. That you are a dirty, rotten sinner that deserves nothing to do with God. And yet He had compassion upon you and He loved you to the point where He died for you and became very intimately acquainted with your sinful ways in order to purchase your redemption. And when you do that, oh my word, you will fall in love with God because there's no one that loves you like God. No one. God is incredible. And when you love God, then you can't help but to love other people. So this is the first thing. You will love the lost, hurting and wayward, and you will pray for them. You'll pray for them. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should not perish for God so loved the world that He gave. When you understand that, then you will look at lost people differently and you will pray for them. Luke 24, 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us by the way and while He opened to us the Scriptures? I love that. See, these two guys were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus showed up and He shared His Word because He's God. And what He did when that happened is it, it burned inside of their heart. So when you you have the opportunity to have compassion and you share the Word of God with somebody else. Again, like we talked about on Wednesday, when you have that opportunity, God will work inside of them and God will burn inside of them. Now, they may not like that burn, but God is working on them. He's trying to warm up their, stone, their stony heart and to get them to wake up and to be redeemed. And so you need to love people in such a way that you're willing to be like Jesus on the road to Emmaus and to share God's word with people where they are. And even as they were going, they were struggling with stuff. They were struggling with, he was supposed to be the Messiah. It's been three days and we haven't, we haven't seen anything. 
And then Jesus opens up the scriptures and he shares with them. He met them where they were. He opened up the Bible and he shared things that were very relatable to them in that moment. But you will love them. You will love the lost. You will love the hurting and the wayward. Christians that are not living right, you will love them. You won't be judgmental. There's a big difference in between being judgmental and you just let someone compromise and do whatever they want. Righteousness is righteousness is righteousness, always. But let me tell you, how many times has God showed up in your life and has been extremely judgmental and never loved you in the process? Every time God deals with me, He can deal hard with me, but it's like He's like, Stephen, you are not right. And then I feel His arm come around me. Every time. And Christians suck at this. It's so hard for Christians to, to they don't, they're willing to say, hey, you're wrong. You're not living right. But then they don't put their arm around that person and say, and I love you and I'm here to help you. There's a big difference, a big difference. And I think we need to learn how to do both. You can't love someone and not call things out. That's wrong. And you can't call things out and not love somebody. That's wrong. You can't do that either. And so if you have the heart of God for people, you will love the hurting, you will love the wayward, and you'll be praying for them. You'll be beseeching God on their behalf for their redemption and for them to be atoned for and for their repentance. So you will do that. All right, the second thing is that you will not be willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is for all. Everyone to come under repentance. Every single person. There is not a single human being that is outside of God's will for them to be redeemed. Should be the same for you. There is not a person on this planet that is unworthy of your efforts with the gospel. I know sometimes it can be harder. There's some personalities and some people that it just may be a little just weirder. Okay? I get that. That's normal human dynamics. But don't ever deem someone unworthy of the gospel. Because God never did that. God died for all. And so our attitude should be for all, for everyone. And there's no one outside of that. I don't care who they are. I don't care where they're from. I don't care what they've done. We have no excuse to have a hard heart towards people. None. Absolutely none. 1 Timothy 2.4 Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to get saved. And he wants everyone to get discipled. That's what that verse is talking about. Come into the knowledge of the truth. He wants everyone to be saved, and He wants everyone to come into the knowledge of the truth. There is no one outside of God's will in this matter. And so you will have that same attitude because you love God. When you love God and you understand how much He loves you, then this will happen in your life. Thirdly, you will have compassion making a difference. The only way you're going to make a difference is through your compassion, and that happens through the Spirit of God. Jude 22 and 23. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I love that picture. What does that make you think of when you hear that verse? Go ahead, read it again. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, even the garments spotted by the flesh. 
Nothing? Makes you think of nothing. Yeah. Um, back when uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Fennel go in the fire, God pulled them out. That's what I make Yeah, that's good. God had compassion on them, didn't he? Yeah. That's right. What else does it make you think of? Makes me think of Andy's best friends, the firefighters. <laughs> I mean, think about them. I mean, can you imagine being a firefighter and you go in to save a family and you left one behind? And they died and they perished in the flame? That would be horrible. Horrible. And it happens. That would be horrible. And so our job, you should look at it from that perspective. That you see someone's life, you see them, and their house is on fire. And if you don't get in there, they're going to perish. Now, they can choose to stay there. There's a lot of people that choose to stay there. They love it there. They love it too much to leave. And I've seen a lot of Christians that love their sin too much to leave. And there's only so much that I can do. There's only so much that I can do as far as uh, talking to them, begging them, uh, sharing scripture with them, uh, trying to convince them logically, trying to do whatever I can. But at the end of it, if I feel that I have peace with God, where I'm like, okay, God, I feel like I've done everything that I could to talk with them. And they're in, their, in your hands. And I'm not going to just leave them alone. I'm not going to just abandon them. And as I have opportunity, I'll still do it again. But I've done everything that I think I can do. You can only do that through compassion. You can only do that through compassion. I think sometimes we approach witnessing and evangelism too logically. But if you approach it from your heart, yeah. it's a whole different ballgame. I feel like you'll be able to give better answers to people if you approach them with your heart, not with your head. I mean, we even listed scenarios, and those are good. Those are good exercises. But I think sometimes when you list scenarios and you try to come up with a strategy, sometimes you actually witness worse. Because I have found that when you actually love someone, yeah, you'll just find ways to reach them. I mean, that's what I do with my kids. I love my kids. And so I want to make sure that they are, they are learning. And there are times where I get frustrated and I try this and I try that. I'm like, okay, this isn't working. So am I just going to give up? I mean, there's some parents that do. <laughs> and they're bad parents. <laughs> but they just give up and do whatever. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find a different way to go. I'm going to try to find another way that I can try to reach them. And do everything in my power in order to reach them. It should be the same way with you. And then First uh, Peter 3.8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Love that verse. Do you realize when you live that verse out, I'm going to have her read it again in a moment. When you live that verse out, it really exemplifies what compassion is, and there will be no divisions among any of us on anything, period. Go ahead, read it again. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Be pitiful, be courteous. You know what that requires? There's several things it requires, but what does it require in order to have that kind of bond between people, especially if you've wronged somebody or somebody's wronged you, or you just don't like them? Yeah. Humility. humility. Yes, humility. Humility. There's also the one that we call grace. 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 Be gracious. You know, we all make mistakes. We all do things that are dumb and stupid. I mean, okay. <laughs> Christ died for me too. You know? He died for you. So let's rectify this and let's move forward. And we're supposed to be of the same mind. All right. Fourthly, 
If you love the lost, you will be ready to give an answer to every man. And I put this one last for a reason, because the three above it are so important. If you're not willing to love the lost, hurting wayward, and pray for them, if you're not willing that any should perish, if you're not willing to have compassion making a difference, then you're never going to be ready to give an answer to any man. So 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you of you a reason of the hope that is in you with peace. Knowing this, that the Lord Okay. When someone asks you about your faith, do you want to be able to give a good answer? I think everybody should say, yes. <laughs> Every single one of us should be able to. Okay, well then let's work this verse out. If you want to be ready to give an answer to any man that asketh you, then what do you need to do first? According to that verse. Hmm? No. Before that, if you want to be ready to give an answer, what do you have to do? Go ahead and read it again. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> sanctify the Lord God in your heart. And remember, this goes back to what we just said, and I'm going to just keep repeating it. Loving God. When you love God, when you know how much He loves you, your heart will be His... And His will be yours. And when you do that, you will be ready to give an answer. You don't necessarily need to know every exact thing to answer. I, since I, I can be very, I can, I, first of all, I'm competitive. I, I'm just, that's just the way I am. I love to win. I mean, who doesn't, right? <laughs> okay, so as a result, when it comes to debating, I love to debate. It's so much fun. Some people don't like debating, but I enjoy it. And when I get into those modes, I try to say, okay, everything they're just saying, I am picking it apart actively. And then forming my solution, and then boom, right back in their face. That's just how I look at it. And I want to do that all the time. But when you love someone, and you care about them out of the love that God has for you, then as they're talking, you're not going to be worried about winning the argument argument. Because there are times where winning the argument is the wrong move. It's not about winning the argument. And let me let me let you in on a little something, 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 something. Okay? Alright. You've already won the argument. You serve the Almighty God. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who never changes, the only wise God. Beside him there is none else. We win, period. It's not about winning. It is not about winning. It's not about being right. It's about the redemption of their soul. That's what it's about. It's about getting their life corrected if they're wayward. That's what it's about. When you have that perspective, it changes. Colossians 4, six. Let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Okay, so your speech, let's break that down, read it again. Let your speech be always with grace. Stop. Okay, let your speech always, all the way, always, all the time, be with grace. 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 And then it says... Seasoned with salt. Okay, seasoned with salt. Have you ever had food that didn't have salt in it that should have had salt in it? It's bad. <laughs> really, really bad. And if you had food that had too much salt in it, 
even also very bad. <laughs> also very, very bad. Okay? So when you speak, your, your speech and the things that you talk about when it comes to the people that you're around and, and even when it comes to um, the law, especially the lost, it should be always with grace. I think sometimes as Christians, our speech can automatically be very condemning. And we can just have these opinions stuck in our mind about about people and I'm like okay like I've even had to work my kids through this um, don't be surprised when lost people act lost what yes lost people cuss <gasps> yeah I mean it's one of those deals where I'm like okay why are we surprised when lost people do things that lost people do and why do we get so offended by it that's what they do I mean, I had to get to a certain point where, yeah, it offended me because I was raised differently, and so those actions offended me. But there came a point that once I had compassion upon them and I understand the situation that they're in, I get it. Why should I expect people that are lost to behave like Christians? Now, I should expect Christians to behave like Christians, for sure. But even in that scenario, we can get way too judgmental on those things. Because let your speech be always, 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 with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So if your, your words are, are very, very powerful, your attitudes and your actions are very, very powerful, and they are communicating something to the people around you. And so if you choose to use the words that come out of your mouth in such a way that it's a tool in the hand of God to reach people, whether they're saved and they're wayward or they're lost and need to get saved, my goodness... It's one of the most, outside of your, I mean, you have your testimony, but what do you have to do with your testimony? You have to speak it, speak it, utter it. It has to come out of your face. It has to, it must, it has to be spoken. The gospel must be spoken. And so being able to articulate things in such a way that you are gracious to people, but it's seasoned with salt, because salt has a lot of healing properties to it. And have you ever put salt directly on a wound? Hurts. Canker sores. Very bad. You take salt and put it right on it. And it's like, I remember doing that. And I just picture this in my head where I'm, I'm in the mirror and I'm pulling my lip open and I take a Q-tip and I have salt on it and I put it on and I go, Aah! and I start drooling just because it hurts so bad. So that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that's, not, that's just what I'm thinking, but that's not what we're talking about. But you get to a point where you're able to get healing properties into the gracious words that you speak so that way people can be redeemed and they can repent from the error of their ways. That's what we're in the business of doing. We've got to be very careful with the words that come out of our mouth. Okay, and we will be ready to give an answer to every man. So, that's what will happen. When you love God and you know how much God loves you and you have that kind of relationship going, you will love the lost. And if you love the lost, then those things will start to happen. You're going to love them. You're going to pray for them. You're not going to be willing that any should perish. There's no one outside of your, um, I guess, that you feel that isn't deserving of the gospel. Everyone is deserving of the gospel. You will have compassion and you will make a difference in their life. You will make a difference in their life. Like every person that comes in contact with you should be different for the good because of you. Should be. And then lastly, you'll be ready to give an answer to every man, to any man. And when that's the case, now you're ready to lead the lost to Jesus Christ. And this is what we're supposed to do. Lead the lost to Jesus Christ. Let's go over to Acts 26. Acts 26. I love how this is worded. Acts 26. 
I know it's warm in here. Stick with me. Acts 26. This is what we're supposed to do. Verse 18. This was Paul's testimony. This is what God sent Paul to do. And this is what we are supposed to do. Verse 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. That's what Jesus told Paul. This is our mission. Our mission is to open people's eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God so they, and they would receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance. That's an incredible opportunity that we have. And so this is what we do. We lead them to Jesus Christ. You can't save anybody. Only Jesus can save them. And so you can lead them to Him and then let Him take care of them. That's what you need to do. And so if this is the case and this is, this is going to be something that you know that you should be in your life and these things will exist, you will prioritize and be fruitful in the work of the Lord. Let's give me some readers. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Dustin, uh, what is the next one? 2 Timothy 2, 2. Ethan, uh, Colossians 4, 3 through 6. Who wants that one? Carson, Matthew 7, 7. Okay. And 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Who wants that one? Got that one? Elliot? And then we'll save the last one for, for last. We'll, we'll do that one together. So you will prioritize and be fruitful in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. 58? Mm-hmm. Therefore, my beloved brethren, <clears throat> be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, so the context is basically eternity future, when we get our glorified bodies. And so looking to that end, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. Does that describe your life? Or in the work of the Lord, you know what? I know I should be doing it, but I'm kind of not doing it. I tend to waver. There are times where I know I need to be about it, but I just don't. Steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. You're always looking for opportunities. The only way this can happen in your life is if it's a priority. That's the only way. Is it a priority? I think for many of us, it's easy to kind of get back into the niche that our priority is loving ourselves. That's what we tend to do. That's kind of our go-to. You know, whatever music I want to listen to, whatever shows I want to watch, whatever movies I want to watch, whatever games I want to play, whatever people I want to hang out with. And when I hang out with those people and I do those things, then I just kind of do whatever everybody else wants to do. And we just kind of... And what we end up finding is that we just go the course of this world. That's what we do. We just fit in. And I'm telling you, the things that you listen to and the things that you do and the people that you hang out with are not necessarily bad. But I want to challenge you. Do you prioritize the work of the Lord in and through those things? Because that is your mission field. The way that God has wired you, the things that you love to do, the things that you are apt to do, the things that you enjoy, can be utilized in the hand of God to reach the people that are around you. You've got to be wise about it. Prioritize it. And I'm telling you, when I don't prioritize it, you know what helps me? 
I remember from whence thou art fallen, repent, and do the first works. You know what I do? Did God prioritize my salvation? He did. He did. High cost for me. I was a high priority for him. How can I not highly prioritize his work? If I am truly saved, if I am truly born again, how can I not make it a priority? And so then I come to the conclusion with me personally, I can't. I'm making excuses. I'm just being a moron and I need to repent. And I need to make it a priority. That's what I need to do. Is it nerve-wracking? Of course it is. But it is the most incredible thing you can possibly do with your life. It's amazing. 2 Timothy 2.2 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same cometh out of faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. That's our discipleship verse. We say it all the time. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Alright, let's stop there for a second. Okay. What are people hearing from you? Among many witnesses. Those same things you're committing to other people who shall be able to do those things. So, so what are you doing? Because you are in discipleship one way or another. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but you're in discipleship one way or another. You're either in it for the ways of this world and the ways of the flesh, and you're discipling those things, or you're in it for God's ways and God's mission. Most people think, well, discipleship is just... No, no, no. Discipleship is an arbitrary term. Right. It's a very arbitrary term. And, and there are disciples of so many things. I mean, so many things. Very worldly things. And it's the same process. So what are you discipling? What are you discipling to the people around you? What are you investing in other people that are going to go and carry those same things to other people? We're doing it one way or another. You should be doing it for the Lord. So that's what we need to be doing. Because you can't, you can't propagate godly things that will make it to the next generation if you're not willing to do it yourself. And I know that, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, at the judgment seat of Christ, when I look back... I know that I could have done a better job in high school. And I know that my testimony sometimes was shot. And so you know what I do with you guys? And what I've been doing for the past, gosh, 15 years? I have been flat out honest about it. With everybody. About how I should have done better. And I want you to do better. And I want to try to invest things in you. So that way you can go and do those things. And then as you experience a walk with God. I'm hoping and I'm trusting and I'm praying. That there's going to come a day. And it's already started to happen a little bit. Where you will begin to invest in the lives of my children. As I'm trying to invest in the lives of my children. So that way they get to the point where you are. And they can start doing the exact same thing. My life is short. Your life is short. We only have so many moments on this planet. And the only way this world is going to be reached, the way that God wills it to be reached, is if we do this. And we should not be in a position where we are content with the gospel and the work of God stopping with our generation. We should never be content with that. And so this is where we need to look in the mirror of God's word and be honest with ourselves about it. And repent, or just keep going down our rebellious path. But you will prioritize it, and you will be fruitful because you prioritize it. So is it a priority for you? Is it a priority for you? Is it one of the top first things that you desire to do when you get up in the morning? And desire is a tricky word, because that could even be in your flesh. Once I get my flesh out of the way, then yes, I do desire it. Is it one of the top things, the most important things that you do each and every day? It should. And it should because you love the lost. 
And it should because you love God. And it should because God loves you. That's the process. So when it becomes a priority, then secondly, you will pray for, and this is the key, pray for and actively seek for open doors to be a mediator. And I'm so thankful for the prayer request this morning because this is absolutely true. Colossians 4, 3-6. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So in those verses, Paul was asking, pray for us. Pray for us that we would have an open door. Now Paul, pretty effective missionary, I feel would like be the one person that would need prayers the least. <laughs> you know, if I were to be stupid and humanistic. Um, but he says, no, I need you to pray for us. Pray for us that we have open doors, to be able to speak the gospel. And that I would speak as I ought to. That means there were times where Paul was afraid to share the truth of the Word of God. There were times where he was timid. And that helps me. That helps me. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, seek, knock. I love how God gives that little acronym right there. Ask. Ask, ask, seek, knock. Yeah, he did that in there. I love that. So, if you never have opportunities, it's because you're never asking. You're never asking God for opportunities. If you never have opportunities, you're never seeking. You're not looking for them. And you're not knocking. You're not actively going after it. How many times, I know you guys have done this because I see it happen in my own life and even with my kids. Um, something around the house. And I ask you know, one of my kids, hey, you need to go find this. I can't find it. I can't find it. It's right in front of your face. I can't, it's right, right there. Oh, and then I have to leave what I'm doing. See it? It's right there. It's been there the whole time. Oh, but I didn't see it. It's because you didn't look. <laughs> okay, it's the exact same thing when it comes to opportunities in order to reach people and to love on people. Most of the time, it's like right here. I don't see it. I don't see it. It's because you don't want to see it. You really don't want to see it. Or you've never been trained to see it. There's the only two things. Either you don't want to see it or you've never been trained to see it. And so this is why we need lessons like this this morning in order to get you to the point where you can actively start looking for these opportunities. Because if you don't, they're around you all the time. Can you imagine one day, because I, I envision it like this, we get to heaven and God allows us to look back over our life and we go back over it with Him. Can you imagine how many times to be like, hey, there was an opportunity right there. Ah, oh, there was one. Oh, there was one right there. Yeah, I knew about that one. I just kind of let that one go. Yeah, I know. It's all good. And I, mean, I mean, how many times could you look back over your life and there are things that God has given you a clear opportunity? It's right there. Or it's like right beyond the wall, but all you needed to do is just push a little bit on that wall. But we were too afraid to push. We were too afraid to knock. We were too afraid to seek after it a little bit more. Man, what regret we're going to have one day. 2 Corinthians 5.20 now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Okay, I love this verse. I'm going to have you read it again. I love this verse. Listen to it very carefully. Do it again. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Okay, so we are ambassadors. And he says... 
God beseeching you by us. So that means that you are literally in the stead of God. I mean, you are the substitute right now for God. If God was here, would He be trying to reach this person? Would He be trying to have compassion upon that person? Would He be trying to correct this individual that's a little bit wayward? Would He be trying to... Would He be doing... Would He be... Would would He? I would think so. So just look over your life and just look at even your friends or look at your family or even look at your own life. Is there anything that God would be trying to get in there and influence and try to touch and trying to redeem? Okay. So we are in Christ's stead. We are in God's stead. We are substituting for Him. We're pinch hitting for God. That's what we're doing, if you want to use a baseball term. God has called us to step into the game and take a couple swings. It's beyond me. Why? Because there's no one better than God to do this. But I do know the times that I have done this for the Lord, it has been one of the most rewarding things that I've ever found. And that God would even allow me to be part of it is absolutely amazing. It's amazing. But that's how we need to look at this. So if you don't, who will? I mean, you can't always expect, well, maybe somebody else will reach them. How do you know? At least give it a shot. You know? I mean, the worst that could happen is they'll kill you. Well, maybe that's not the worst. They could ridicule you and kill all your family and do everything else. But anyway, we won't even go that way. Alright. <laughs> but, I mean, <laughs> when you start thinking about it, in the grand scheme of eternity, what is the worst that could happen? Are you saved? Are you guaranteed an eternity with the Lord? So tell me, is it really that bad? Like, let's put it into perspective. I always loved, there is a book that I read, it's Leonard Ravenhill's biography, and it's called In Light of Eternity. I love that title. It's one of my favorite titles. In Light of Eternity? Yeah, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Oh, okay, all right. Yep, okay, got it. It's really not that bad. I'm just being a wuss. I'm being selfish. I'm being, you know, being like a toddler in my Christian walk and throwing temper tantrums. But we need to pray and actively seek for open doors and we need to be that mediator. And God will answer your prayers for these things. He will. Because He wants the lost to be saved. Alright, and then lastly, and this is where we're going to end. You will work in perspective of the judgment seat of Christ. And we've already kind of foreshadowed this a little bit, but you will work in perspective of the judgment seat of Christ. Let's go over to Romans 14. Romans 14. Romans 14. I'm going to let you look up the 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5 on your own time. Uh, great passages, very good and very sobering for you to work through, so I ask you, please do that at some point. Um, those, two ver- those two passages really detail out the judgment seat of Christ and the things that are going to take place. Romans 14 is probably one of the most convicting verses to me personally because it's very concise and it really just smacks me across the face right when I need it. Alright, Romans 14. Take a look at verse um, verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So be gracious. Season with salt. Verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And here it is, verse 12, which packs a huge punch. So then, 
Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every single one of us are going to give an account of ourselves to God. And you can go into this thing already defeated, which I think a lot of people tend to do. But why not go into your judgment with God in a way that you are at least somewhat prepared? Like, why do we have to, oh, it's going to be bad. Oh, it's, I know I'm going to have regret. Okay, yes. All right, fine. Okay. So do you want more regret? So, I mean, God has given you the ability and the faculties to understand you're going to have regret at the judgment seat, right? At this moment. There are things that we know that we should have done better. Okay, great. So what are you going to do about it? I mean, are you just going to keep packing on the debt? And have more regret before sitting before the judgment seat of Christ? Or are you going to get to work and redeem the time that He's given you? I mean, that's what we ought to do. I wish we had time to go to the one parable that Jesus shared because it talks about how the Lord of His house came and He was going to judge His unfaithful steward. And that unfaithful steward, you know what He did? He got off His tuchus and He went out and started reconciling a bunch of debts for His Lord. And He's like, all right, I know this is going to be bad. <laughs> and I know I'm already in a world of hurt. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get to work. And He went and He's like, okay, so how much do you owe my master? Okay, you owe him 20? All right, sit down and write me enough for 10. Okay, all right, how much do you owe him? 50? Okay, just write 40. Okay, go. All right, how much do you owe him? Oh, you owe him five? Okay, um, just, just pay, can you pay the five? Okay, let's just pay the five and get it done. Okay, good. And then when the Lord came, he says, All right, un unfaithful steward, let's see what happened. Oh, all right, you did good. You knew that I was coming and you actually did something to profit me and, and to, to bring glory to me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to give you what I wanted to give you as a faithful steward, but your judgment isn't going to be as bad. Let's, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to do this. I mean, that's how you need to look at it. The day's coming. Yeah. Like, it's coming. The, you cannot avoid your judgment with God. Now, our judgment is not going to be for sin. So that, that was taken care of at the cross, and that's, that's all said and done. But as far as being a good steward of what God has given us, entrusting us with the gospel, being good disciples and disciplers, carrying things on to the next generation, all of us can do better. Every single one of us can do better. And it goes back to a heart that we're supposed to have for God, understanding how much He loves you, and having compassion for the people of this world. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. It really is very, very simple. Does God love you? Yes. Did He prove it to you? Yes. Then love Him back. And love Him with all your heart. And as you do that, these things you struggle with, with, with lost people, man, it'll just start to melt away because as you have compassion for the lost, you'll be able to reach them. Now, you're not going to be able to reach all, but do your best to try to reach some. And don't ever leave anyone out. Because the day is coming where you're going to see your Savior face to face. And He died for them. He died for them. And I forget this at times. And it hurts me. But He died for them. And so I need to be careful on how I deal with people and circumstances. Everywhere I go with everything that I do. Because I know the Lord, would, it matters to Him. It matters a lot to Him. And so that's the heart of evangelism. And I think that is the stuff that we're missing. I really think this is the stuff that we're missing. So I really hope that you can chew on some of this stuff and that it would make a big difference in your life. I hope so. All right, let's go ahead and pray and then we'll be done.
Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And I pray that we would take these things and we would not just think upon them, but that we would meditate on them and that we would let them change our behavior and change our perspective. And you are definitely worthy of it. And um, there's a balance. And I'm just so thankful with how you, how you deal with me and how you are very patient with me. But at the same time, there are things that you require of me. And so I pray, God, that you would help me to be the best steward that I can be. Help us this week as we have opportunities to invite other people to camp as we have opportunities to uh, share the gospel with people, uh, even Wednesday, I pray that it's very fruitful. Um, and I pray that you would be honored in and through it all. So thank you, Lord, again for this time and for these moments. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.